entering the Freedom Hut. It was a disastrous day on Capitol Hill for the Democrats. Mueller seemed like someone just woke him up from a nap of about 15 years. We'll work out the latest here, my friends, on what this means for the collusion narrative, the obstruction delusion, and all the rest of it, plus some other news stories on The Buck Sexton Show. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One Make, Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Like I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. So we had a very good day today. The Republican Party. Our country. There was no defense of what Robert Mueller was trying to defend, in all fairness to Robert Mueller. Whether his performance was a bad one or a good one, I think everybody understands that. I think everybody understands what's going on. There was no defense to this ridiculous hoax, this witch hunt that's been going on for a long time. Pretty much from the time I came down on the escalator with our first lady, and it's a disgrace what happened but i think today proved a lot to everybody in fact some of my biggest opponents wrote things today that i wouldn't have believed they would have written and i appreciate that they did that this has been a very bad thing for our country and despite everything we've been through it's been an incredible two and a half years for our country welcome to the buck Sexton show my friends It's a good day for America. A good day. I've been waiting for this one. And I I did not really expect it to be quite as good as it was. I I thought that there would be at least more of a a competency on display on Capitol Hill when you had Bob Mueller there. Uh, Saint Mueller. Let's just do a quick review that you won't get from the rest of the media. They were singing Christmas carols about this guy. Remember that, Producer Mike? I do. Christmas. We wish you a Mueller Christmas. Big celebrities. You know, famous Hollywood people. St. Mueller was going to deliver America from the scourge of Trumpism. And also recall that just like they did with James Comey, who we were told was a, a, an unimpeachable, beloved by his fellow FBI agents, Super government superhero. Turned out he's a sanctimonious jerk and a lanky, unself-aware weirdo. Uh, Now we were told that Mueller was the sharpest of prosecutors, the smartest, the best of the best, the most ethical. And then today, it's like they made Mr. Magoo appear on the witness stand. All of a sudden, Mueller seemed to be the guy at the end of a Scooby-Doo episode who, if it wasn't for you kids, I would have gotten away with it. Because he didn't know anything. He didn't know what was going on. He said stuff that was jaw-dropping. Jaw-dropping. Doesn't know what Fusion GPS is? What? Who? 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 What? What? Mike, you got something for me there? What was that? You want it? I was just laughing because oh, it's true. Oh, uh, Mike, is, it's totally true. Yeah, it was, it was a mix of, com- I was laughing because it was comical, and I was laughing because it was pathetic. It was insane today, yeah. folks. 
It was insane. It really was. I I thought that they'd be able to pull it together more than they uh, the Democrats would pull it together more than they did. Let, let, what is the the single biggest takeaway? The number one thing that I want you to remember from today's entire fiasco on for those of you who I watched it on a lot of you I'm sure didn't watch it so let me just tell you what the the most important thing for you to know is this is what came out of all of this what we saw beyond any doubt tells us that Mueller was just a figurehead who was giving a degree of swamp gravitas to this sham of an investigation while his deputies who were Democrat partisans, ran this whole thing day-to-day as the absurd witch hunt that it was. They called it the Mueller report because it would have been too obvious if they called it what it was, which is the Weissman and Company report. All those Democrats, all those left-wing anti-Trumpers that Mueller hired, it wasn't that Mueller was the one calling the shots, really, They were the ones. They were the ones who were involved in the day to day. Mueller was just there so that Democrats in the media could bleat like sheep. And how Mueller is a Republican and Mueller has an impeccable record and Mueller served his country. And so you can't criticize him. Mueller was a cover story. I think for giving him the benefit of the doubt, we have to say that Mueller was really a fig leaf. That's why he was, and he was fine to do it. He was willing to do it because he does not like this president. He's an establishment figure. He is, as it came out today, a friend of Comey's. So while I would like to to feel some degree of sympathy for Mr. Magoo Mueller, I can't. And I'm a nice guy. Anybody who works in this business will tell you I'm actually really not. Probably too nice. I know. And too humble. Maybe not too humble, but definitely too nice. But I can't feel bad for Mr. Magoo Muller because he had no problem threatening, bankrupting, ruining, imprisoning people all along in this whole sham of an investigation for the most minor of crimes in what he had to know was a politically motivated investigation all based on a lie. He ruined people or allowed them to be ruined in his name, which is just as bad. I heard one of the congressmen, I can't even remember which one, say that, well, what we really need to know here is that Mueller took a, uh, that, that he was, trying to be fair-minded here, that he, that he a- acted with restraint, was what one of the Democrat members of Congress said. Acted with restraint? This guy sent 30 dudes with long guns and tactical gear into Roger Stone's house at 5 o'clock in the morning to make sure that he didn't get any ideas when he was in his silk pajamas. I mean, let's not completely deny reality. And just remember that the libs were in a total frenzy over how they said attorney general Barr, who compared Barr's performance under scrutiny and on the press to Mueller. Let me ask everybody this. 
you're accused of murder in a small town in the South where there was a guy driving away from the Quickie Mart and you only got one phone call and it's going to be to your cousin, a tough-talking Italian-American from Queens in New York City. Do you want that cousin, in this case perhaps named Vinny, to be of the skills of, say, Bill Barr or of Bob Mueller? I think all of you would want Barr defending you if, you're, if your life was on the line in a court. I really do. If, you were, if you're facing the chair, I think you want to have Barr and not Mueller. Because Mueller seemed like he had no idea what was going on today, really. But they were in such a frenzy because they said that Barr didn't have enough time to read through the report before he gave his press conference. How could he know? How could he have known this? It turns out that Mueller... Definitely didn't write the report and maybe didn't even really read it all that closely. Two years, tens of millions of dollars. And this is where we are now. This is this is the the uh, the moment where we got backstage and we saw who was behind the Wizard of Oz. And it was not impressive. Not impressive at all. Just like with Comey. Remember, Comey was going to. Comey was going to take down Trump. And then we found out that he was a a sanctimonious clown. Avenatti was going to take down Trump. And now he's facing two serious federal indictments, including one in which he is alleged to have stolen millions of dollars from a paraplegic client. Avenatti was talked about as a possible presidential contender to defeat Trump. This is how desperate libs are for some anti-Trump figure to emerge. And then Mueller was the greatest anti-Trump figure of all. Certainly not the clown show they're presenting in these Democratic debates. Uh, you know, they, they got to do a lot better than this. But now we see that Mueller is not who we were led to believe. Wow. Maybe we shouldn't believe the mainstream corporate leftist media anymore. I know if you listen to this show, you probably already know that. Whew, what, a, what, a, what a disaster it was today. I mean, Mueller, for one... Uh, had a had a whole bunch of, of moments. You just said to yourself, uh, "How exactly? How exactly did this guy get into this position?" Play uh, this. I mean, he was confused a lot. Play clip five. The president committed the crime of obstruction. You could not publicly state that in your report or here today. Can you repeat the question, sir? You're going to have to repeat that for me. Individual is in fact obligated to provide what's being demanded by the regulation or statute, meaning you don't have any wiggle room, right? I'd have to look more closely at the statute. Well, I just read it to you. And where are you reading from on that? I'm reading from my question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Then could you repeat it? Okay. Is that correct on the screen? Can you you, uh, repeat the question now that I have the uh, language on the screen? Is it correct? What was the question? Pardon? Can you read the last question? The last question was... I want to make certain I got it accurate. Attorney number two in the Inspector General's report and Strzok both worked on your team, didn't they? Pardon me? Can you ask? They uh, they both worked on your team, didn't they? uh, I know. I heard Strzok. Who else were you talking about? Attorney number two identified in the Inspector General's report. Okay. And the question was... I heard I watched this. I mean, I was hearing all the questions. Is the audio better sitting in my living room than it was in the committee room? I I don't think so. I suppose that's possible. That was actually Preet Bharara, uh, a Comey protege, by the way. That tells you all you have to know about that guy. Now a CNN analyst. 
former U.S. attorney for for uh, for a or U.S. attorney for for the Southern District of New York. Uh, he went on CNN and said that the real problem here was that the questions were too fast and unclear. That's how desperate this is. CNN's like top top dog on air analyst. You know, this is their their number one legal guy, other than Jeffrey Tubin, who's just like I don't even know what to say about that guy. You want to know what the wrong legal analysis is? Watch Jeffrey Tubin on CNN. He is very consistent in how incorrect he is. Uh, but the whole thing was just, it was a mess. And I, I think there was some disbelief. I wasn't ready for the other side to look this incompetent. And oh, yes, by the way, the Mueller probe is the other side. This was not this was not a good faith effort. We're past that now, folks. We've been past it for a while. But after today, it's crazy town to think that this was not just a get Trump effort. I haven't even gotten into some of the better moments. We, we, we got to get into some of the better moments with the uh, with the Republican members of Congress. They did bring out some interesting interesting questions, and but wow, not a good day for Mr. Magoo Mueller. I got to tell you, did not look good for him at all. And I thought he was a a legal and FBI superhero here to rid us of the scourge of Trumpism. Turns out that they used him, or maybe he allowed himself to be used, but he was just a front, a facade meant to give some degree of establishment-sanctioned credibility to an effort to overturn the results of the 2016 election using the apparatus of the government itself. It's a good thing for Democrats. It's National Tequila Day, because I think they're going to need it. We'll be right back. Director Mueller, can you state with confidence that the Steele dossier was not part of Russia's disinformation campaign? Uh, with regard to the Steele, uh, that, uh, that's beyond my purview. No, it is exactly your purview, Director Mueller, and here's why. Only one of two things is possible, right? Either Steele made this whole thing up and there were never any Russians telling him of this vast criminal conspiracy that you didn't find, or Russians lied to Steele. Now, if Russians were lying to Steele to undermine our confidence in our duly elected president, that would seem to be precisely your purview because you stated in your opening that the organizing principle was to fully and thoroughly investigate Russia's interference. But you weren't interested in whether or not Russians were interfering through Christopher Steele. And if Steele was lying, then you should have charged him with lying like you charged a variety of other people. But you say nothing about this in your report. Nothing about the Steele dossier. The basis of this whole thing, folks, without the Steele dossier, you don't have the FISA warrants. You don't have Carter Page. I mean, you could argue maybe based on the Papadopoulos FBI investigation, but that was that wasn't going to that wasn't going to cut the mustard, as they say. Does anyone actually cut mustard? That phrase makes no sense, does it? I just realized this. Is that a. Yeah, uh, not in the sense that you're from uh, Philly. You're probably a mustard guy. Yeah, I'm a a New Yorker. It's one of those dual. I like aioli. Yeah. (laughs) And one of those fancy, bougie aioli guys. All right, back to business. So uh, Gates, Gates is right. The dossier isn't covered in this really at all. And you got to say to yourself, hmm, Mueller can't talk about that. Now, hopefully it'll come out of the Inspector General report. Um, But this is an important reminder. The... Steele dossier may, in fact, itself have been Russian disinformation. And the Steele dossier and the process by which the Clinton campaign contracted through a law firm on behalf of the DNC to use a foreigner to go get information from foreign subsources, in this case, Russians, 
and to not just tell the press that information, but to run that information back through our own intelligence community. That is the only foreign interference in the election that can be proven beyond a reasonable doubt to have been on behalf of a willing and witting campaign. The Democrats colluded with a foreigner to try to destroy Trump. And not only did they go to the press with it, they went to our own intelligence community and to deep state elements therein and used them to do their dirty work. By the way, Representative Ratcliffe today, he got in on that action. I was like, oh, look at Ratcliffe. High five for him, you know? Yeah, he was good. He was yeah. the best, I thought. Yeah, I thought so, too. He stuck the landing. It was pretty solid. Uh, play, play clip three. Which DOJ policy or principle set forth a legal standard that an investigated person is not exonerated if their innocence from criminal conduct is not conclusively determined? Uh, Where does that language come from, Director? Where is the DOJ policy that says that? Can you, let me make it easier. Can you give me an example other than Donald Trump where the Justice Department determined that an investigated person was not exonerated because I, their I, innocence was not conclusively determined? I, I, I cannot, but this is a unique Okay, situation. well, I, you can't. Time is short. I've got five minutes. Let's just leave it at you can't find it because I'll tell you why. It doesn't exist. Not exonerated is not a standard that we use. Not only did they try and ambush Trump and create this whole hoax to go after him, but they're so shameless in their anti-Trump zeal. The Democrats are so desperate to find some way to destroy this president that they have come up with an entirely new and only applicable to Trump, mind you, standard of jurisprudence that only applies in this situation, and that means that Trump could never, could never escape the taint of this whole thing, and that was always the point. That was always the purpose. But is it really surprising you have Democrats here in New York State who, are, who want to change the law just so they can get Trump's tax returns? They'll do anything. They'll destroy the law as much as they need to in order to get after this president. And the fact that Trump is still standing and still doing a great job, must drive them even more insane if that is possible for Libs at this point, which is an open question. So how bad a day was it for the Democrats, the Russia collusion narrative, the anti-Trump forces, and, and all the rest of them? How bad was it? Well, Democrats had to call a little impromptu, oh my gosh, how do we put out this fire press conference late in the day? It happened right before we went on air. We have some of that for you here. Adam Schiff a.k.a. Shifty Schiff. He had things to say like this. Play 22. Today, the director outlined in uh, powerful words how Russia intervened massively in our election, uh, systematically in a sweeping fashion. How during the course of that intervention, they made multiple approaches to the Trump campaign. And far from shunning that foreign involvement in our election, the Trump campaign welcomed it, made full use of it, put it into its communications and messaging strategy, and then lied about it. Lied about it to cover it up, lied about it to obstruct the investigation into that very attack on our democracy. Yeah, we've been hearing that for months there, Shifty Schiff. 
No, none of that was new, but th- thanks for showing up and giving us the usual talking points. Here's some key things he leaves out. There were approaches made to the Trump campaign, none of which were acted on. No, no, nothing. There was there was no collusion. There was no working together. And his into their messaging strategy. Oh, you mean like reporting on what was dumped by WikiLeaks on the Internet like the rest of the world did? I mean, but Schiff has the really the uh, the 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 warm human connection of a of the you know with the with the eyes of a mako shark and the ethics of a rattlesnake i mean that's really what you're dealing with with adam schiff so that should not be surprising at all oh nancy pelosi uh she had a she had a interesting day today i'm sure thinking that it was going to be a big victory lap and you know msnbc i mean by the way cnn I really think that they're trying to set some kind of Guinness World Record for how many legal analysts they can put on TV at the same time. It looked like they must have had about 16 of them in a row. I don't know what producer thinks that that's a good look and a cool idea, but CNN's ratings seem to suggest that maybe it's not the brilliant strategy they think it is. Uh, But here's what Pelosi had. Here's what she had to say. 23. The president likes to have his poster that said the Mueller report took this many days, cost this much money, this, that, and the other. Well, we have a, a, a corresponding competitive, a, a contradictory chart. Mueller investigation by the numbers, $40 million recovered for the U.S. government. Remember he said how much it would cost? Less than that. Uh, 37 people and entities charged with crimes. 25 ongoing criminal uh, cases referred, seven convicted, including five top Trump campaign officials. And then he had no collusion, no this or that. Ten instances of obstruction, yes, no exoneration. I mean, it's, it's like Nancy is desperate to spoon feed the ridiculous talking points to the left, the left wing media in advance of their, their primetime shows. She's like, please stay odd message. Here's what you have to say. Maddow, Tapper, here's what you have to do. Uh, the, the 30s, my favorite of all these, I mean, they're just, they're just juicing the numbers. My favorite is 37 people and entities charged with crimes. Why isn't it just people? Oh, that's right, because what is it? 15 of that 37, I think. <laughs> what is it? Almost half are Russians who are named in an indictment who will never set foot in a U.S. court, but I'm sure they're terrified. I'm sure, oh, the long arm of Mueller's justice is coming for them. If Mueller can put down the sippy cup and the blankie and, you know, have enough concentration in order to go after them. I mean, the whole thing was just absurd. It really was. 37 people and entities charged. 25 ongoing criminal cases referred. That that doesn't mean anything. And when you look at what the charges have been, and this is what they always leave out of it, uh, the charges all have nothing to do with Russian collusion. The charges all have nothing to do with the, the heart of, the, of this whole theory, the whole case, but... You know, they seem to think that if you get someone who's lying about what they had for breakfast last week, that's a win for the Justice Department. Oh, sure it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm trying to find where the, uh, where Mueller, oh, here's, an, here's a little important point. They, obstruction is what they're trying to, 
hang their hat on now. It's, oh, but there was obstruction. Ten counts of obstruction. Uh, it turns out that that's a problem for them because to obstruct, you generally have to obstruct. And that did not happen here. Play clip seven. And you can confirm you're no longer special counsel, correct? I am no longer special counsel. At any time of the investigation, was your investigation curtailed or, curtailed or stopped or hindered? Uh, no. Were you or your team provided any questions by members of Congress of the majority ahead of your hearing today? No. So the whole theory now for the Democrats of why they should maybe I, I, I thought after today they'd have to they'd have to be crazy to go for impeachment. But then again, I keep saying they're crazy. So maybe what I'm telling you is, of course, they're going to impeach. But the whole theory now rests on obstruction. Yet, when Mueller talks about the 10 acts of obstruction, it never, it never actually happened. There, there was no obstruction. If the president of the United States had wanted to shut this thing down, he could have just actually shut it down. And then there'd be a fight over whether or not he's constitutionally allowed to do that. And I think a lot of people would say, based on the hoax that this whole thing was... You cannot obstruct an illegitimate investigation. But they're now, I mean, I know you're running in these, these circles here. Like, wait a second, what? How can he obstruct an investigation that he did not obstruct and that if he had obstructed or at least stopped, he would have been justified in doing because the whole thing was a farce? And people say, oh, Buck, but what about the Russian interference? There was no need for a special counsel to investigate Russian interference. The Department of Justice could have done that like a normal federal investigation. There's no need. There's no need for a special chain of command. The whole reason, the whole rationale for the Mueller involvement in this, for Mueller being the figurehead, as we know, for a bunch of angry Democrats to try to get at Trump, was because the White House was implicated. And now they try to walk away from that. Oh, no, but look about look at the Russian interference in the election. By the way, has anything changed since then? Has there been any a- accounting for what happened in the... No, of course not. My friends, this is, it's just all spasms of, of rage, seething fury from the left at Trump for winning the 2016 election and then trying to find legal rationalizations for that and some legal panacea for what ails the left. It's not Russian collusion. It's not obstruction. You know what we saw today ails the left. You know what really is their ultimate problem? Donald Trump is president of the United States. So the report did not conclude that he did not commit obstruction of justice. Is that correct? That is correct. And what about total exoneration? Did you actually totally exonerate the president? No. The finding indicates that uh, the president uh, uh, was not uh, uh, that the president was not exculpated, uh, exculpated uh, for the acts that uh, he allegedly committed. In fact, you were talking about incidents, quote, in which the president sought to use his official power outside of usual channels, unquote, to exert undue influence over your investigations. Is that right? That's correct. This is the new standard, folks. What does the left say? How does the left present these issues? Now you have to be proven, not just beyond a reasonable, beyond a reasonable doubt, uh, if you're charged. If you're not charged, 
The standard is that you have to have, beyond a reasonable doubt, the absence of evidence that they were not even able to find. This is from the Mueller report. All right, let me just, and I think this is in many ways the single most important line, other than there was no finding of collusion or conspiracy, which was the basis of this whole thing. That was all a lie, didn't exist, it was all farce. But but if you want to get a real sense of the intellectual dishonesty at the heart of the entire Mueller probe, there is a line from the report that says the following, quote, a statement that the investigation did not establish particular facts does not mean there was no evidence of those facts. How can why are you including that in an investigative report about what are alleged to be very serious crimes that change the course of a presidential election and with it world history? Well, just because there's not stuff that we could show you, it doesn't mean we can tell you definitively that that stuff doesn't exist. Imagine that. Imagine that someone's accused of uh, being a rapist and the attorney general, well, not the attorney general, the district, that would be quite a, a case. The district attorney walks out on the steps of the courthouse in whatever town they say. So it turns out there's absolutely zero evidence that we can present that. You know, John Doe here is a, is a rapist. However, do not take the inability that we have to present evidence of this guy being a rapist now as definitive proof that he is not a rapist. That is what they did to Trump. Two years, $40 million or whatever it is, and the, the presentation of countless witnesses and and documents and everything and they weren't able to prove it and now their line is well just because we couldn't prove it doesn't mean it didn't happen why do we even have a justice system then why not just have a a a blind allegation system where you just get to say whatever you want about somebody and then they should suffer consequences even without the presentation of any evidence the democratic party is willing to throw centuries they've done it with kavanaugh and now they've done it with trump And they will do it again. They will throw centuries of Anglo-Saxon, English, American, common law and jurisprudence in the incinerator. If it means that they can get their way politically tomorrow, they don't care. They they will. The the whole the, the stuff that our entire system is based on. I mean, the rule of law is really one of the areas where we are most distinct where we separate ourselves from so many other societies all over the world the system we have to protect individuals from the state and from the unfair unjust allegations or accusations of their fellow citizens is one of the things that really does distinguish us from all these other countries and democrats will they will tear the whole thing down they will just rip all of they will kick at the load-bearing walls of Western civilization. They don't care. That's how much they hate Trump. And that's what we have seen today. This is also why they've had this absolutely pathetic uh, press conference they just held right right before I came on air. Right before, what was it, at like 5.50 p.m. Eastern, the Democrats have this, this uh, conference they hold. 
where they got one after another. You know, you get uh, uh, Nadler and Schiff and Pelosi and, and coming. And they're just, you know, they're acting like they're on the Rachel Maddow show one after another trying to make the case to the audience. Oh, no, no, I swear. Trump still is a, you know, Trump is still really bad. He's still colluded and an obstruction and obstruction. Huh? And no, no fair minded person. You know, there, there's there's what the, there's what you can take the law and expand it to include if you're willing to just not use any reason or, or, or good judgment. No fair minded person thinks, oh, President Trump's reaction to a political hit and all the lies that went into that against him, his reaction to that unfair attack should be enough to destroy him. People always talk about Nixon and, oh, Nixon and Watergate and the cover-up. Nixon was trying to cover up doing bad stuff. And the stuff wasn't even, like, that bad, but it was bad. It wasn't that bad. But he was trying to cover up stuff he did that was wrong. Trump didn't do anything wrong, and the Democrats come to you and say, oh, but he he would like to have, if he had been able to, cover up not doing anything wrong. This is what crazy people think. This is Trump derangement syndrome. This is a mass delusion. This is only possible in an era of social media echo chambers and soundbite television and all the things that have allowed the narrative on the left to become so deeply entrenched in the minds of a majority of the Democratic Party at this point. I mean, a, a true majority of them. I mean, the president was not exculpated for what he did. Okay, well, guess what? He also wasn't charged with anything. Well, they say, oh, but their big, their big moment tonight was supposed to be Mueller saying to uh, Ted Lieu, Congressman Lieu of California, that the reason he did not charge was because of the Office of Legal Counsel opinion. Turns out that's not even not even what Lou, or rather that's not even what Mueller said he said. You know? There you go. That's, that's what it is. That's what's going on, folks. Just lies and lies and lies. Democrats trying to clean, clean up the mess that they made today. They wanted this. Remember that. They wanted it. They want it. They're going to get it. And they got it. Let's have Mueller up there. Let's create this whole circus. We'll capitalize on this one. I love it. I saw a headline on, a, or rather, a, a thing on CNN that <laughs> 90 House Democrats, 90 House Democrats um, still want to impeach the president. <laughs> they want to move to impeach the president. These people are nuts. They want to impeach the after today. They they bellow belly <laughs> they belly flop in the shallow end of the pool, and then they want to tell us all that they're actually Olympic divers. I mean, this is just it's beyond comprehension. You know, they're trying so hard to make this about something that it's not. But you know, this is this is the problem. They've they've all tied their careers the democrats have tied their credibility to it and they this has been a credibility self-immolation for two years there's no turning back now there's no walking it back now they are what they are Whew, man I, I gotta say it, it was kind of it was kind of cathartic today to watch this though what a what a preposterous joke this whole investigation was and, and who's been more correct in the substance? Trump saying this was a witch hunt and it was unfair and it was Democrats? 
Or the Democrats saying, this is about protecting our democracy. Yeah, I don't think so. Who had the best day today? We know Mueller had a bad day. That's for sure. But who had a really strong showing for Mueller time on Capitol Hill? I've got some some ideas for you. I think Jim Jordan, you could argue, had the single most effective day of anybody on Capitol Hill. Although Ratcliffe also had had some really good stuff that I didn't even know Congressman Ratcliffe very well before. But I think he did a great job. But Jim Jordan more or less put the whole Russia collusion delusion in a half Nelson and made it cry uncle. like that wrestling terminology. I don't know if you know this. Not only does Jim Jordan not wear suit jackets in public, it's a real thing, uh, but he was a champion state-level wrestler back in the day. Um, but here's what J- Jim Jordan with a, with a body slam of the collusion delusion. What's interesting, you can charge 13 Russians no one's ever heard of, no one's ever seen, no one's ever going to hear of them, no one's ever going to see them. You can charge them. You can charge all kinds of people who are around the president with false statements. But the guy who launches every, the guy who puts this whole story in motion, you can't charge him. I think that's amazing. I'm not certain I I, I agree with your characterizations. Well, I'm reading from your report. Mifsud told Papadopoulos, Papadopoulos tells the diplomat, the diplomat tells the FBI, the FBI opens the investigation July 31st, 2016, and here we are three years later, July of 2019, the country's been put through this, and the central figure who launches it all lies to us, and you guys don't hunt him down and interview him again, and you don't charge him with a crime. Yeah. Why is that? Hmm. Hmm. Give it some thought. What are the chances, folks, that if this investigation was really into anybody, anybody who might have colluded with the Russians or been involved in this, not a single, not a single person identifiable as a Democrat was caught up in any of this? What are the chances? Oh, okay. let's look. Hillary Clinton can violate the Espionage Act over 100 times. Her staff can help cover it up and lie about it and do whatever they want and you know no one gets charged we're supposed to believe that only republicans make minor misstatements of fact under oath it seems only Repul- democrats never do that they commit huge crimes and get away with them but they, they don't do the lying under oath about little things who believes this no one believes this it's all a double standard that's what we are seeing here this is what and you know it's just time that we stop pretending that this is a, a coincidence or that this just happens because it's the way that it is. Not true. Oh, you want some more evidence of Buck's theorem on this one? That the left gets it easy and the right gets it rough? Why hasn't Andy McCabe of the FBI been criminally charged yet? Anyone want to tell me that? Huh? Andy McCabe lied, according to the FBI's own inspector general, at least twice under oath. Where are the criminal charges against him? Does anyone want to offer up an explanation? The FBI's own inspector general says that the FBI acting director lied under oath about leaks, about matters of importance to to a major investigation, and he hasn't been charged with squat. Mifsud hasn't been charged with anything. 
You know, they, you get all this. Where, where are the Democrats that just happen to say the wrong thing at the wrong time? Oh, it didn't happen, did it? You know, Christopher Steele, did they ever, they ever put him under oath and really go through every, go through everything that he had to say? Folks, we all, we all know what's going on here, and it's disgusting. It's disgusting. Just allow yourself to, to know what you know. It's unsettling. It is unsettling to think that the Democrats could be this, uh, this partisan, this lacking in ethics, but that's what we are dealing with. So we need to accept what the truth is here and act based upon that truth. Here's what, uh, by the way, Jim Jordan also talked about the need Speaking of Jim Jordan body slams, they need to investigate the investigators. Here's the good news. The president was falsely accused of conspiracy. The FBI does a 10-month investigation. And James Comey, when we deposed him a year ago, told us at that point they had nothing. You do a 22-month investigation. At the end of that 22 months, you find no conspiracy. And what's the Democrats want to do? They want to keep investigating. They want to keep going. Maybe a better course of action Maybe a better course of action is to figure out how the false accusation started. Maybe it's to go back and actually figure out why Joseph Mipsud was lying to the FBI. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. That's exactly what Bill Barr is doing. And thank goodness for that. That's exactly what the Attorney General and John Durham are doing. They're going to find out why we went through this three-year saga and get to the bottom. I would like us to get to the bottom. I'd like to know what's going on here. And I think a lot of the American people who care about this investigation, which is probably dwindling, is probably getting smaller day by day. We're all just sick of this crap the Democrats have put us through. The sore loser. I'm ready for her. Hello, Hillary. They won't give it up. And so we all have to just deal with it. We all have to get dragged through their lack of psychological stability. The left's unwillingness to accept what has happened to this day that is where we are that is what is going on uh we need answers here i think the inspector general report i'm going to tell you this right now my prediction we can replay this later i'm going to sound very prescient i have a feeling the inspector general report is not is not going to result in some hallelujah moment of justice for for trump and everything else because they're going to try to protect the institution of the FBI, so they're going to pull up. They're going to pull the punches at the end, but oof, there's going to be some stuff in that Inspector General report that makes this whole thing look even dirtier than it is. And we'll watch the Democrats just make fools of themselves trying to explain it all on TV. The good news for them is they don't have any integrity to protect. The fact is, we are living in this 21st century new type of asymmetrical media warfare that we're in and you have a propaganda machine on the right and that's what it is is a full-fledged propaganda machine on the right that the democrats haven't figured out how to combat very well and And i think they took the trump bait meaning they said oh yeah you're good at tv spectacles we're gonna make a tv spectacle i mean is chuck todd a moron i know he's paid a lot of money and he's famous for reasons that i couldn't tell you some TV executives must really like him at NBC. I, I, I could not explain to you what the Chuck Todd skill set is. He's, as far as I can tell, completely replaceable with about 10,000 other local news anchors who are libs across the country. I, I cannot tell you what Chuck Todd's particular. He's been around the game a long time. I've never heard him say anything insightful. Never heard him say anything particularly interesting. 
In fact, it's just a lot of boilerplate lib nonsense. But I think that's fascinating. The lack of self-awareness on a day like today when the media was made to look like a bunch of complete buffoons. For Chuck Todd to then come out and say, well, the right has a propaganda machine and the left hasn't, you know, or rather he would say, you know, the Democrats and the real, the good people, the real journalists, we haven't figured out how to combat that. The right has a propaganda machine. The left has a stranglehold on 90% of journalism in this country. 90% of it. At least the left has a stranglehold on about 90% of the federal bureaucracy based on donations in the 2016 campaign season to Hillary Clinton. And based on my time working for the federal government when there were just libs aplenty all over the place. Except the only place where you're like, oh, I can talk about how I love America and want to want to wave a flag, you know, on the 4th of July outside my house and not feel weird is around people from the military. Everybody who's like in the civil service or whatever, I mean, they might be cool with it, but a lot of them aren't. A lot of them are driving to work in a in a Prius in a nice kind of, you know, vomit green color with a Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren bumper sticker on, you know, because that's the ticket that they would really love to see. I mean, you get a lot of that in the federal government. Think about it. People that go work for the federal government tend to be risk averse. I'm not saying everybody. Please don't send me a message about your amazing patriot, you know, cousin who's who's in, in the FBI and is a Republican and, you know, served four tours in Iraq. Yeah, I love that guy, too. I mean, we, we're not, I'm not talking about him this and I know people like the federal government. I'm speaking about the general mass. You know, this is like talking about college campuses. Yeah, college campuses are full of libs. They're, that's no question. The professors are libs. Most of the student body are libs. That doesn't mean I'm not demeaning the amazing conservatives who are standing up for themselves and their beliefs on campus across the country. Of course not. They're awesome, right? But is it wrong to say that campuses are libs or liberal just because? There are some conservatives. No, we have to speak in some generalities here or else we can't have a conversation about it at all. Back to the point about Chuck Todd and the propaganda apparatus. It's so much larger on the left, but he thinks it's a problem on the right. He blame, He's blaming conservatives and blaming, you know, Fox News and talk radio, which you're listening to right now. Well, hello, talk radio. Hey, listen to Buck Sexton's propaganda machine on the Buck Sexton Show, convincing you to love America and actually use your brain. We, should, we could probably do that at like the top of the show. Replace the, the intro we've got right now with, hey, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, the propaganda machine. This is where I always tell you that uh, propaganda acquired. I, I, I just think it's a fun historical tidbit. Many of you have heard me say it before, but... I love you. Give me a little leeway. Uh, you had until the 20th century propaganda really wasn't necessarily a negative thing at all. It started with the Catholic Church and the uh, propaganda del fide, the propagation of the faith. And it was supposed to be a commission within the Vatican to make sure that the proper Catholic faith was being spread all over the world. And then later on in really the First World War and with the beginning of mass uh, mass media, and radio in particular, propaganda took on this negative, negative term. But I, I think that anybody, you know, propaganda, if it's just the continuation of ideas or the spread of ideas and the hope that people will adopt them, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing at all. I, I am a propagandist for America and for conservatism and for Judeo-Christian values because I think that they are right 
and I tell you that I think they're right, and I think everybody should adopt them, and that would make us a better world, a better country, a better world, you name it. But the left has to come up with some explanation for the dumpster fire that was the ambush of Trump over the last two years as evidence from everything that we saw today. I mean, what a what a what a an abject debacle this whole thing was. I will tell you, I and I hate admitting when I don't nail something. I hate admitting it because I usually nail things. I didn't think today would be as bad. I, on last night on on Brett Bear's show, I said uh, I said that it would be as much about what wasn't said as what was said, which was true. But I think that's a pretty obvious point. You know, I, I grade myself not on a curve. I know when I say. I know when I say insightful things on TV and when I'm like just another just another, you know, uh, schmo with a side part on air. And and, but the thing I did say is as well was that, you know, Mueller didn't do so well in that last press conference he gave the one before today. So keep that in mind. I knew that was possible. I did not think it would be the the utter implosion that it was. today. I did not think that that was the case. Because uh, I, I figured the Democrats would have to have a better, a better plan than this. I mean, they were leaking that they were running through, uh, you know, they were running through scenarios. They they were doing mock Mueller testimony stuff. It's just just amazing. It really, really is. It really is that this is the, this is where we are. Uh, so now they blame uh, now they blame Republicans. It's Republicans' fault that Mueller couldn't make this. Uh, sound credible it's republicans fault that because it, it's our propaganda machine how how pathetic is that and i i also noticed that there was uh there's this effort to n- n- say that you can't you can't come out and criticize that Mueller seemed like a, a doddering uh doddering old fool what was the thing that kim jong-un said about trump again he called them uh this is before they quote, fell in love. Um, what did he call them? A dotard, I think, right? A D-O-T-A-R-D, dotard. One of the rare times I learned a word from the news cycle and in international relations. I did not know the word dotard until Kim Jong-un used it, uh, at least in translation, to, t- to talk about Donald Trump. Uh, but if you said that Mueller was... Looking like he had lost a step, like he wasn't really with it, like he didn't know what was going on. They say, oh, Mueller is a patriot and he's amazing, he's fantastic, he's a great man, he served his country and the military and everything. And I said, you know what, that's, I, I, how could I do anything other than respect the man's service in Vietnam? And it's fantastic. The service he did in Vietnam, it, it's brave. A lot of people wouldn't do it, didn't do it. A lot of people in politics on both sides, no interest in serving. So yeah, of course, I'm not talking about that though. And if we're going to play that game, why is it that that Mueller is beyond reproach and criticism as a person because he served in the uniform, uh, but but our our friend General General Flynn, who served over thirty years in the United States military, he should get fed to the wolves because he misremembered something that he said to some FBI agents who he thought were on his team when he was in the White House, and it was all a setup. By Sally Yates and a bunch of other left-wing hacks. Oh, but, but, but Flynn, Flynn is Flynn is an agent of Russia and he's a traitor because because he lied about something that wasn't illegal and nobody should really care about. Blah, blah, blah. That's what they say. You have no standards whatsoever. 
You know, you can trash Flynn all day long, even though he served for 30 years. But if you if you trash Mueller, you're, you're, you're going after his service. These are just the games they play. They hope they scare you off the truth with it. But the other one is, I, and I've seen the same journalists, the same journos, the same leftist activists pretending to be objective sources of news that are out there uh, that, that were saying... Um, I have been saying that Trump is crazy. I mean, actually not of sound mind, having some kind of uh, men- or, or, or not just a mental breakdown, but they'll say that he is a senile, that he, he's a, he's a, an insane person. If you point out that it did look like Mueller was brought out of a, a retirement community to give this, you know, no offense to retirement communities, but it, it did seem like this guy wasn't exactly at, at his freshest and best for the most explosive political investigation of my lifetime. Oh, how disrespectful. How could you and everything else? Okay, so Trump, you know, 73-year-old uh, Trump state of mind, and, and, and or I should say mental faculties, that's open season for the left all the time. That's no problem. But you make the same case based on actual evidence about Mueller, and you're a bad person who's being disrespectful disrespectful of his service, disrespectful of his age. Sorry, I'm just not going to let them play that game. We need one standard by which we evaluate any issue of importance in public life. We need one standard, no more double standards. We need one rule of law that applies equally to both sides, left and right, Democrat and Republican. No more of this kid gloves for Hillary and broken glass all over the gloves for anybody around Trump. All right. That no, that that cannot stand anymore. This pulls societies apart. You want to talk about undermining institutions? One of the favorite complaints of the left. Double standards undermine all our institutions. And we saw that today. A lot of conservatives in particular would say that the rise in Islamophobia is a result not of hate, but a fear, a legitimate fear, they say, of quote-unquote jihadist terrorism, whether it's Fort Hood or San Bernardino or the recent truck attack in New York. Uh, What do you say to them? I would say uh, uh, our, our country should be more fearful um, of, of, of white men across our country because they are actually um, causing uh, most of the deaths within this country. We should be uh, profiling, monitoring, um, and, uh, and, and creating policies to fight the radicalization of white men. White people are the problem, Ilhan Omar says. That's what she said. I'm not, we played the audio. White men are the problem. White men are the threat. Now, I, th- I thought that was a racist thing to say. Right? It's a stupid thing to say. But if she's going to say it, and now we're going to get in the realm of let's have a discussion about this. Okay, Ilhan Omar, let's talk. I assume this is in reference. I know it's in reference to the recent report. The FBI says that most of their extremist investigations, their terrorism investigations, are of white nationalists or white supremacists or whatever that may be. Uh, I actually know something about this because unlike... 95% of people in the media, I worked in counterterrorism and had to day in and day out, look at cases, deal with cases. This is th- That was my life for years. So let me explain something to Miss Ilhan Omar. If she's going to talk about the threat and gauging the threat and who we should be concerned about and who we should profile or devote resources to, then you have to, you have to look at the numbers. 
And by the numbers, let's have a discussion about jihadism versus white nationalism. Let's go. Let's let's break this down for a moment. The U.S. population is roughly 60 to 65 percent white. Of that population, it's roughly, let's say, 30 percent male. So 30 percent of America is white males. And you have all of the terror attacks that they talk about and, you know, you add all these numbers together and it's roughly equivalent to the number of jihadist terror murders in the United States. Assuming that you forget all about 9-11 and the incineration and murder of 3000 people all in one day. So just cut that part of it out. And assuming you forget about the hundreds and hundreds of thwarted jihadist terror attacks that have occurred uh, or that would have occurred since 9-11, killing untold thousands more, including blowing up a plane on Christmas Day over Detroit, Farouk Abdul-Matal, the underwear bomber, blowing up Times Square when I was working at the intelligence division. Uh, you know, uh, look at all these major attacks where they just barely avoided a mass casualty situation. or the, And that's not even including the guys that get picked up while they're trying to buy the explosives or buy the weapons. But, but even going beyond all of that for a moment... There's about 1% of America is Muslim American, about 1%. So you're looking at maybe, we'll even say it's 2%. Let's say it's five, five, four or five million people. And let's say half of them are, about half of them are uh, male. So you're looking at about two or three million Muslim Americans versus who are males, right? And I know not all terrorists are male, but let's just, for the purpose of our discussion, versus about 30 to 40 million white American males. And you have roughly equivalent numbers of casualties and dead from extremism, minus 9-11, which I think is a massive concession that we should not make because it takes out of the discussion all the resources and effort. Else. What Ilhan Omar, by Ilhan Omar logic, Muslim American males are a 15x, roughly, terror threat to white American males based on the numbers. So is this the game that she wants to play? Does she really want to, you know, where does this stop and start? If she wants to open this up, do we get to walk through this door? Do we get to actually have this discussion or not? Here you have a member of Congress who says things like white men are scary and we should pay more attention to the threat from white men. I think we're allowed to make a counter a counter argument here that one, that's a stupid and nasty way to, to speak about anybody. And two, if we're really going to break this down demographically, okay, let's do that then. Let's look at the white American male population and the Muslim American male population and tell me which one has been a greater threat of extremism and terrorist violence by the numbers. I mean, this, you know, I don't know how many times I have to off the top turnbuckle crush the libs on this one i've I've done it i I used to do it all the time at cnn they always get smoked on this because they're so desperate to believe for whatever reason that white christian males in america are the real threat whatever that means to them They, they but they are invested in this Vox and HuffPo and all these different liberal websites they really want to believe that the the real threat are white christian males i believe the real threat are people who are radicalized I believe that the real threat within the Muslim community are radical Islamists, jihadists. So a subset, 
I don't think that one person from any community based on being in that community should be considered a greater threat. We're looking for specific radicalization. But if we're looking for radicalization by the numbers, it is still much more likely to exist within the American Islamic community than the white male community. So let's just be honest about that. All right, everybody, I got a special treat for you today. It's been a while since we have heard from our friend Kevin Williamson. But fortunately, he has a brand new book out, so we have an excuse to force him to come hang out with us. The book is The Smallest Minority Independent Thinking in the Age of Mob Politics. Kevin, of course, is roving correspondent for National Review. Mr. Kevin Williamson, good to have you back, sir. Good to be here, Buck. You know, I, I was going to do a little book to sell, and also I guess I'll hang out with you for a minute. I appreciate it. So tell me what the book's all about. Uh, the book is about the ways in which social media has contributed to the destruction of our democratic political discourse by making everyone a representative of a warring tribe rather than an individual and citizen. Okay, give me a little. So that that's <laughs> uh, that's a thing. Um, I mean, look, uh, but it's uh, so you know. I, I want to. Have you heard the? I've been talking about it all week. People are probably sick of this, but the Naval Ravikant Joe Rogan discussion because I think that he you know they, they Joe had him on his podcast recently. And I've listened to this I thing. I like, like Joe Rogan a lot. He's funny. Yeah. Like, well, well, I'll just the basic thesis that that Naval has is that in the digital information age in which we now live, these massive journalistic establishments, they don't really serve the purpose that they pretend to. And so they have actually become massive activism organizations. And so that has been magnified through social media into the warring factions that you're talking about. Yeah, I think maybe there's a slightly different way I would talk about that, which is that people go to news media and social media for different things, and they get them confused. So no one goes to Twitter, really, to learn about what's going on in the world. No one goes to Twitter for reporting or original perspectives or anything like that. People go to Twitter and, to a lesser extent, Facebook for emotional validation. They want people to pay attention to them to make them feel important and to say, we're in the white hats and these other guys are in the black hats and we're the good guys and they're the villains and we're nice and they're a bunch of Nazis. So the problem, of course, is that kind of emotional, um, emotionally driven ad hominem view of the world is not very useful for discussion or presenting information, but it's very useful for building very large audiences. So if you're someone who wants to get as many people to pay attention to you as possible and you're not too picky about how it gets done, it's a very strong temptation to go out there and engage in this kind of emotion, heart first, uh, facts be damned, ad hominem means of discourse, which is really why you see only that on social media. And I think that you're right that some of the major media organizations, the New York Times, some of the other newspapers, have grown, I think, a little envious of that and adopted some of that tone, which is why you have such a bad op-ed page, for instance, in the New York Times, and such a bad op-ed page in a lot of other newspapers, where they really want to try to vampire off that same energy. I don't think it really works for them, because if you're Paul Krugman, you still got to write a 700-word column. You can't just tweet something. And it's a different kind of feel, and it's a different kind of format. Well, and also, you're somebody that, that dealt with the, the insanity of this yourself, and, and in a very yeah. particular way, as somebody who was hired by the Atlantic, and then um, do we let let go or, or consciously uncoupled or however it went from the Atlantic because really their 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 little emotionally fragile readership freaked out. I mean, I, I think that's an honest assessment of what happened. You know, there's an interesting thing about that, and um, partly it was that, but these things are always a little more complicated than that. And it wasn't really so much the social media campaign 
that got me fired over there that was kind of a pretext. It was really an internal staff thing. And here's, I'll have a little piece, an excerpt from the book in the New York Post this weekend that, um, that gets into some of this. The, the purpose of these uh, mob campaigns is not just to get people like me fired. It's to bend these institutions to the will of these uh, left-wing ideologues. And so, you know, there's nothing you accomplish by getting me fired from the Atlantic, right? So I'm a professional writer. I get fired by the Atlantic. I write an essay about it in the Wall Street Journal. Life goes on. Um, you know, I just change venues. But if you are someone who's a Starbucks manager in Philadelphia or a programmer at Google or someone else who's not involved in the politics and writing and controversy business, you see these people being made examples of around you, and you learn from those examples, and you never say anything that's non-conforming or non-approved to start with. And that's what this is really all about. You know, getting James Damore fired at Google wasn't about this, you know, pinhead monkey James Damore that no one really cares about all that much. It's about the mob saying, look, we can make Google do what we want. And that's the important takeaway from it. What would you like to see change in this whole phenomenon? I mean, I, I actually saw last night um, uh, Josh Hawley, who is is very involved now in the, the social media bias that exists. Mm-hmm. What, what, do, what are conservatives supposed to do now? I mean, because there's clearly bias. And as you point out, there's... Yeah. Well, there, there are a couple of things, not just conservatives, but as, as citizens. Uh, one is to understand what you're going to social media for and what it's there to do. And I think that if you understand what it actually is, you probably might want to tend to use it less because it's kind of an embarrassing thing to be involved in in some ways. I mean, you know, some writers and stuff use it for marketing, and, and some other people use it for marketing, and that's great. But really, it's not a very effective way to communicate if you have any sort of substantive ideas. So I think that while you want to be involved in all forms and all media to the extent that you can, conservatives should moderate our hopes for what can be accomplished through things like social media simply because our ideas are a little more complex. And, you know, we need people who understand things like supply and demand and why prices work the way they work in in the Constitution, which you're not going to get from tweets. It's not how it's going to happen. So you know, play in that field if you need to, play in that sandbox if you think it's useful to you culturally or from um, from a publicity point of view. But I wouldn't have real high hopes for moving any sort of substantive intellectual content through it. We're speaking to Kevin Williamson, roving correspondent for National Review, author of the new book, The Smallest Minority, Independent Thinking in the Age of Mob Politics. I, mean, I will say this, Kevin, I've I've noticed that social media is a very... Uh, it's uh, the immediate feedback mechanisms of it in political discourse can be interesting insofar as you see that that pushing for one team is the single most effective thing you or or trashing the other team. That's the single most effective thing you can do. Trying to have any any interesting exchange of ideas or, God forbid, say that something about the other side's approach to an issue or idea might be worth examining, perhaps even appropriating, that gets not just uh, ignored, but shouted down. People get angry about this. That nuance effectively is suspect. Yeah, remember, it's always far worse to be a heretic than an infidel, right? It's always the people on your own side, if you disagree with them a little bit, who will always be the uh, the most energetic in coming after you. For instance, I've, I write this article probably every six months that Republicans need to get over the idea that tax cuts pay for themselves. I really just don't. Uh, there's not any good evidence that they do. And uh, every time I write that, there's just this enormous freak out. And it's not so much about the content. It's, it's about, aren't you supposed to be on our side? Why won't you go along with the game? Or I wrote this thing earlier in the week or last week about um, 
the send her own stuff in Ilan Omar. Not that I'm a fan of Ilan Omar, but um, it's sort of a, you know, it's, a, it's an ugly thing to do, and there's some legitimate criticism there, I think, to make. And the woundedness of the responses to that is, we're supposed to hate her. Why can't you hate her with us? Well, I don't hate her. I just hate her better than you do, for better reasons. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, this is why it's it's so hard right now to find even legitimate debate on television. Uh, one of my complaints is that anywhere you go that's supposed to be a political exchange of ideas in a media forum is overwhelmingly the old WWF model of here's Hulk Hogan and here's the jobber who's wearing a little you know neon mankini and no one's ever heard of before. The guy looks like he could bench press about 75 pounds and he's going to get crushed. That's what yeah. you see on TV just in different versions and different venues. Yeah, you know, Margaret Hoover has recently tried to uh, say firing line, which is a, a title that's very important to us over here at National Review. But you can't imagine trying to put the original firing line, which is two hours long, of two guys having a serious conversation on the air, even on PBS, you know, even on uh, on NPR or something like that. So the, the culture, I think, has changed in a way that makes it very difficult to have those sorts of uh, conversations. But the other thing is that people involved in my business, people who are writers, people who want to talk about more serious issues, are really guilty of you know, the original sin of American intellectuals, which is to want to be popular in that way. You know, if you are Paul Krugman, having a Nobel Prize is not enough. You want to be celebrated and to lead people and to speak for them and to act as a tribune for them the way a politician does. And there are a lot of people, I mean, this is a particular problem for conservative talk show hosts, who are essentially, you know, campaign managers for Republican uh, campaigns and who are so closely and so tightly identified with the politics that they can't afford to engage in an honest conversation. And that's a real problem. Is there any uh, is there any ray of hope you offer us in the smallest minority, Kevin, or is the minority just going to get smaller? One is that people eventually learn to hold in contempt, that which is contemptible, and this is contemptible, and people eventually learn. But the other thing is that a lot of what's driving this hysteria right now on social media is boredom, and it's being used as entertainment. And its entertainment value is not going to last forever. People will move on to the next thing. You know, there used to be a time in history when people got hysterical about sports rivalries. There are times in history where people had, you know, there was a riot apparently after the Rite of Spring was first performed because people cared about serious music. Ah, Stravinsky reference. Look at you. Yeah, Stravinsky reference right there. You know, we're pretty high-minded over here. And um, I think that eventually people's interests move on from this and they go on to something else. And we're having uh, these silly conversations about, I don't know, Batman movies or something. Well, Kevin Williamson is one of the best writers on the scene, folks, so I say you give the smallest minority independent thinking in the age of mob politics a shot. I'm going to do the same. Kevin, thank you so much. Appreciate you making the time, and good luck on the book. Thank you, Buck. I appreciate it. All right, team, we got more coming up in a big hour three. In fact, speaking of social media and the bias therein, we've got some new Project Veritas audio to share with you. Stick around for that. Senior software engineer, software engineer. My name is Greg Coppola. I'm a senior software engineer. I work on artificial intelligence and the Google Assistant. Yeah, I mean, overall, um, I'm very concerned to see big tech and the big media merge basically with a political party, uh, with the Democrat Party. I have a PhD. I have five years of experience at Google, and I just know how algorithms are. Um, They don't write themselves. We write them to do what we want them to do. I look at search, and I look at Google News, and I see what it's doing, and 
I see Google executives go to Congress and say that it's not manipulated, it's not political, and I'm just so sure that's not true. I think as the election started to ramp up, uh, the angle that the Democrats and the media took was that anyone who liked Donald Trump was a racist, um, even a Nazi, and that got picked up everywhere. Uh, well, I think we're just at a really you know, important point in human history. Um, I think for a while we had tech that was politically neutral. Now we have tech that really, first of all, is taking sides um, in a political contest. So that's a Google engineer. Hat tip to a Project Veritas for uh, giving for having the audio up here and, and getting this interview done with, with this a senior uh, Google engineer who is saying much of what I've been telling you here on the show, and I hear from people that I know in in Silicon Valley, people that I know who work in the tech space. And one part of this that I, I do believe is important to keep to keep in the mix is that one reason why Republicans and people voted for Trump can't get that energized over the very, very uh, ineffectual and minimal in the grand scheme of things. Russian interference in the election when our main communication systems now, the primary methods of day-to-day communication for, for most of us in the political sphere, the digital world, this is where most news is happening, most communication is going on, uh, are effectively subsidiaries of the Democratic Party, but pretend to be neutral. It'd be one thing if Google said Google is all about pushing left-wing ideas and a left-wing agenda. At least then I could, I could say, all right, there's an honesty to that, and you can either use their products or not. You can either accept what they say or not. But what Google and these other companies have been saying for years, Google, Facebook, Twitter, and I actually think that Jack Dorsey's not quite as... Uh, I don't think that he's as much of the problem. It's just the rest of the company. These entire corporate cultures are full of these left-wing evangelist types, these these left-wing zealots. But they've been telling us for years, their public position has been that they do not have political bias, they do not take political positions on any of this, and that they are just really trying to you know regulate safety and give the best products. That's a lie. They're lying to us. They've been lying to us systematically for years think about what an effect that has i mean i've heard i can't remember where it was but that there was about a at least as early as or as as recently as the 2000s the democrats media advantage was guessed to be about a a 10 point polling advantage for them overall meaning that if if we if we had a truly nonpartisan journalist cadre in america if it really was the case that journalists were not all pushing for one side a lot of democrats would lose so badly uh, that they would no longer even be competitive in races that were that are considered now to be either close or slightly leaning toward the democrats you know it's worth like five to ten percentage points in 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 major certainly national level political races because what do you do how do you know about any of these people and think about this. When, when you want to know about, oh, who's this politician? Maybe you watch it on TV. Okay, but how much of that do you really see on any given day? How much does any one politician come up? But when you do a Google search on somebody, 
you know, if you do a Google search on Donald Trump or on Josh Hawley, whom I actually met for the first time last night over at Fox, if, if you look for one of these individuals, the information that pops up initially on them is what you're overwhelmingly going to read. And wh- whoever determines what that, in- what that first spate of articles may be, that person has tremendous influence on your perceptions of that individual. This is this is a really big deal, and I, and I do think that there's some somewhat of a disconnect because the the left is more tech leaning than the right generally. I, I just this is why Silicon Valley is a very far left place. Why? It's an interesting discussion in and of itself, but I think it's because uh, one, you are well, it, it's a little bit like universities, and there's a self selection that goes on. All you need is. You know, some proportion of a, a, a web company, an internet company, to have some libs, and then they're going to just bring in more libs and then push out the rest of the non-libs, and all of a sudden you have a, a political monoculture, as James Damore called it at Google. Uh, but this, this is a, a, a huge issue, and, and I think that those who believe, because I was asked about this on, on Brett Baer's show on Fox last night, or you know, Brett brought up, the, these investigations into the different uh, the different social media giants, whether or not they're monopolies, whether they need to be broken up or not. And I think the answer is quite obviously, yes, they they do need to be uh, looked at. And I think they probably should be broken up. I think that it, it is a it is a monopoly situation with Google. And these companies in many ways are more powerful than any other company that came before them, you say, oh, Buck, Standard Oil and everything. I mean, does Standard Oil still have a monopoly, folks? Does anyone think that Standard Oil is still going to be, was still going to be the uh, powerhouse in the fossil fuel? Of course, not. in global competition, everything else. Google has the ability right now to completely squelch any other company to determine what companies can get ad revenue for their business, can, can affect and shape perceptions in ways that, look, it's, it's a replacement for what the traditional media uh, ecosystem in this country was, which would go, take us back to the Walter Cronkite days. Oh, Walter Cronkite, he's, you know, what, was he the all the, you know, what's the, uh, and that's the way it is, right? Is that Cronkite? I don't know. I was too, I'm too young for that stuff. But they used to be able to convince people, the mainstream media convinced people that they were just telling them the facts. They had no bias. That was a lie always. The media has always leaned left. We know the media leans left. It was never true. It was never obviously the case, uh, or, or it was rather obviously the case. The media had a political agenda, but they've always pretended that that's not the case. So, I mean, here we are now. This this is the new mainstream media, folks, and and I do think that they need to be uh, they need to be looked at. And you know, why is it that? If someone explained to me why Sinclair Media, for example, can engage in a voluntary transaction of a merger with Tribune Media without the FCC and all the stuff getting involved. Oh, but but Google can do whatever the heck it wants. You know, Facebook can do whatever it wants. TV and radio have all these stupid rules in place that we know favor the incumbents and the incumbents are almost all libs. Oh, but the Internet, now that it's lib dominated, no rules for them. Nope, sorry, I don't think so. You're a publisher or you're a platform. Pick, Google. One of our major themes here on the Buck Saxon Show is that there are a lot of crazy libs out there. Or maybe a better way of putting it is that libs are kind of crazy. 
that their ideology has uh, has jumped the shark that they've they've lost uh, they've lost touch with reality they've they've gone quite a bit nutso and with that i turn you to this obsession they have that is sure to be a political loser is not based on the science and is just un-american darn it getting us to stop eating meat this was a story recently on CNN, the Commie News Network, to help save the planet, cut back to a hamburger and a half per week. I mean, a hamburger and a half, that is not nearly enough. First of all, I'm sure that they do that whole wimpy thing, and Mark, you know what I'm talking about, where they say that your, your protein intake is supposed to be about the size of a deck of cards. That's No one eats a hamburger that's the size of a deck of cards. Maybe four decks of cards. If you're at White Castle, you can do that, but then you eat like 10 of them. Well, yeah, exactly, right? And so if I eat 10 decks of cards worth of meat, that's kind of the same thing. But the the libs are obsessed with this. You know, ultimately, I think they really just do want to control people. Uh, they, They want to be in a position to tell you what to do because they know better than you. That's really the purpose of this. But here's the story on CNN. Americans will need to cut their average consumption of beef by about 40% and Europeans by 22%. Oh, because we are European and we don't eat as much of the red meat because we have so much bread and brie and various fromage. Really? You know, they're going to stinky cheese us like that? By the way, I mean, I'm sure stinky cheese is probably bad for your arteries. Uh For the world to continue to feed the 10 billion people expected to live on this planet in 2050, according to a new report from the World Resources Institute. I bet there's a lot of tofu served at their Christmas party, which would obviously be called a holiday party. And they're saying that it's uh, creating we need to create a sustainable food future. And eating less beef is only one suggestion in the 568 page report. This is what they say. 9.8 billion people will live on the planet by 2050. That's up from 7 billion in 2010. Demand for food is projected to outpace population growth, increasing by more than 50% as people's incomes in the developing world are expected to increase, according to the report. The demand for meat and dairy is expected to rise even faster by 70%. The global demand for ruminant meat meaning beef, sheep, and goat, is expected to be even higher at 88%. First of all, goat, when well-prepared, can be pretty good. I've probably eaten more goat than mutton, even though people think of goat, I think, as a little bit more uh, of a rarity. And ruminant meat, I'd never heard that before. I kind of like that. Okay, so here, here's where this is another example of the libs being crazy. What's the so what of all this, other than the fact that telling people not to eat meat is a political loser. But on climate change, the the Democrats would rather be political losers, meaning that they're willing to sacrifice some degree of short term power in the hopes that they can propagandize this. They, They can frighten enough people. And once they've frightened all of those people. To get to vote, so they'll vote for them and give them the, the power to combat climate change. Then they can worry about all the rest of it. Right, then, then we can be in some place where they have total control. But 
Telling people not to eat meat is a political loser. You know what else is a, is a, is a loser in general? Not knowing history. See, there was this fellow Malthus who in the uh, 19th century was sure that we were going to run out of food and that there would be now it wouldn't be an, an we wouldn't run out of food in the sense that there'd be no food, but that our ability to produce enough food to sustain the growing global population would be so uh, threatened and so insufficient that there would eventually be mass starvation and and die off or limitations, depending on if there was disruptions to existing food supply or limitations on global population growth because we simply can't produce enough food to feed all of these people. Well, it turns out that that was complete and utter unscientific nonsense. Why was it nonsense? Oh, that's right. Because what we now know is that technology, involving a lot of fossil fuels, by the way, has made it so much more efficient, so much easier to produce food and to refrigerate food and to move it around and to have higher crop yields and all of these wonderful things. Libs never learn their history, though, because now we're at a point where global population growth is exploding. Life expectancy is longer than ever before. And we have to worry constantly about too much food. Too much food is a much greater global health risk than too little food. Obesity, heart disease, type 2 diabetes. What we really should be concerned about is how we all convince our bodies. Because, look, there's been a lot of engineering of this, too. It is true that companies jamming food with all this sugar, and which, which does become addictive, and it is addictive, uh, this is a form of slow poisoning of all of us. Right? We've, there was a, a time when if you could get a little bit of sugar, that would be a good thing. Um, but we're we're well beyond that time now because there's sugar in everything. It's all over the place. It's in ketchup. It's in salad dressing. It's in cereal. It's it's everywhere, right? It's everywhere you turn. And we're going to have more advanced technology than we've had in in the next ten years, the next twenty years. They're already creating beef that isn't beef, but they say has a similar caloric density, nutrient density, and uh, is is much more sustainable. I've eaten some of this. By the way, Mark, I'll I'll be honest. Beyond Meat's pretty good. I think I said that on the show. It's pretty good. I don't remember you saying that. Oh, I'm, yeah, it's I'm actually... Oh, hear. okay. Maybe I just tweeted about it, but I had a Beyond Meat burger. It is gluten-free, and it was uh, it was pretty tasty. You know, I mean, obviously, you, you don't just go with it au naturel, right? You don't just have a naked Beyond Meat burger. You got to slap some mayo on there, a little bit of Swiss cheese, maybe some bacon. That's right. I like to put bacon on top of my vegan technologically advanced not meat burger but this is just crazy folks they're wrong I, I guarantee you they are wrong does anyone really think that the massive food companies and and all the different places that are incentivized around the world to come up with new ways to grow food to create food i mean look you're talking to a guy who just had crickets in his guacamole and I'm sure that if you looked at, at how easy, and some of you are like, ew, gross. But no, it's true. Crickets are delicious. Delicious. You just throw a little bit of, I'll do them sweet or savory, producer Mark. I'll have, I'll have hazelnut crickets, barbecue crickets, Creole crickets, you name it. I eat a lot Cajun. of stuff. Not crickets. Never happening. 
Dude, I'm, I'm going to bring some... Mar- Producer Mark, we're going to have to have some crickets that we bring in for you on the show. We're going to hear the crunch. Zero and, chance it's happening. Really? Oh, man. If you guys... I think if we have like a, a, a GoFundMe for crickets for Mark, maybe we'll actually get him to do this. But I'm telling you, they're not that bad. Anyway, there's a lot of ways to create this protein. I think there's different... Uh, Insect larva. Now you guys are all turning. Everybody was with me until I started talking about crickets and insect larva. Now I sound like a total lunatic, which might might in fact be the case. Uh, but this is what I mean. The, the, these groups and CNN, of course, CNN. Why does CNN print this? Let's just work through that for a second. Or why do they post it on their website? Because this goes to the whole lib catastrophist global warming nonsense. They want to believe that we're all going to starve to death or the planet's going to overheat unless... Government is able to intervene in everything, including what you eat. Eat less meat because meat creates climate change. Now it's eat less meat because they won't be able to create enough meat. Well, which is it? Do we not have enough meat or if we eat too much meat, is the world going to going to collapse? They see, it's all it sounds stupid as I'm saying it because it is stupid. It makes no sense. But if you're looking for sense with libs these days, you're going to be on shaky ground indeed. You're going to be in a uh, in a difficult position. So I'm going to keep eating meat. That's for sure. I know everyone listening to this as well. Moral, moral of the story, keep eating meat. I'll be back. Team, sometimes there is justice in this world. And sometimes things just get a little weird. What the heck are you talking about, Buck? You might be thinking that. Hopefully not so much so that you're like, all right, this is where the podcast ends. But no, really. So I was on the train today. And like all... Swamp-dwelling, northeastern, Acela Corridor creatures. I was on that train. I was trying to do some work. But I, I stepped on the train. I'm, I'm somebody who... I'll, I'll give you some tips for the Amtrak. If you want to do work and you're on the cheap train, not the Acela. I don't take the Acela because I'm not fancy. I'm not bougie enough for the Acela, at least not on my own dime. So I step on the train and I'm saying to myself, all right, I'm going to go to the cafe car because the cafe cars have old-school four-person tables. So I go to get to one of those tables and I, and I see there's a, a woman who is uh, sitting with a bunch of bags next to her on one side. And I just go, OK, well, I'm going to sit on the other. It's a very full train. And I go to sit down and she goes, I'm sorry, I'm sitting there. And I look at her and I'm like, um, aren't you sitting where you're sitting? Because this is the other this is the other row, which has room for at least two people. That's across from this table. And she goes, oh, no, I mean. My boyfriend is sitting there. And I go, okay, all right, you know, that's, I, I get it. Like, if I were traveling with a significant other, uh, I, I would want to have them sit next to me, and I, I respect that. So I went and I found, you know, a, a nearby table, same situation, sitting across from, from somebody. And let me return to that story in a moment. But sure enough, we get 30 minutes into this train ride. 30 minutes into it. There's no boyfriend, Mark. There's no boyfriend. There's, there's nobody, there's no one sitting across. I'm shocked, her. Buck. And in fact, she puts like a, like kind of a, a bag, you know, over there and everything. But at the Baltimore stop, we have a new arrival, somebody who comes on that train. And I hear this exchange. She walks over and she says to the seat denier, we'll call her the seat denier because she denied me the open seat. Uh, and for those of you saying, oh, Buck, no, she, it was, this was not like I was going to hit on her. And she, no, please, this is not, not like that. I just wanted the empty seat. The seat denier uh, says, I guess no one's sitting there when she's asked if someone can sit there. So she just straight up lied to me. But then I, I looked with glee, with glee 
as the new arrival on that Northeast Regional Amtrak train proceeded to pull out just big smelly Tupperware thing after smelly Tupperware thing and then put her phone up to her ear and was a super loud cell phone talker. And I just looked back and I was like, justice. That's what happens when you lie to well-intentioned people. You get the smelly food loud talker sitting next to you. Oh, what was Buck like on the train? The way he always is. Earbuds in, laptop out, working to save America. So, Mark, see, there is justice in this world. Those two people deserve each other. I think they really do deserve each other. And then the other part of the story was that, believe it or not, this was a one-two punch. I sit down at the other table next to the guy, and this was a really quick one, but this guy looks at me as I sit down across from him, and he goes, he goes, you're not a beautiful woman. I was hoping a beautiful woman would sit across from me. And I looked at him, and I said, yeah, sorry, I, I, I guess I'm a little disappointing. And he goes, yes disappointing indeed <laughs> I'm like, what is this it's like the high school cafeteria and i'm not allowed to sit anywhere anyway oh the crazy life and times of a of an amtrak traveler i was near the cafe car too why can't the food on amtrak not be disgusting that's a conversation for another day rock and roll fellow patriots We made ours go up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. All righty. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton for the Roll Call. Thank you so much for hanging out with me here this week. I feel like, I feel like it's Friday because, well... I don't know why, but I feel like it's Friday. Turns out it's not. It's only Wednesday. All right, let's get to it, shall we? That's my way of stalling while I actually pull up what I've got going on here. All right, here we go. Kyle writes, Buck, I thought it was cute how all the Democrats coordinated to say the line, no one is above the law at the end of their questioning of Mueller. I wish someone would have yelled, except for bleach bit, each time they said it. I'm sorry I wasted my time watching that. I bet there are exactly zero people nationwide who changed their mind one or the other, which at the end of the day probably works out in Trump's favor. Attention, Democrats. This horse has been beaten enough. Huh. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's probably true, although, as I've been saying, it is. it was not a good day for the Mueller is beyond reproach, and he's like a superhero patriot of unbelievable proportions. Not really. Not so much. All right, Diane. Hey, Buck, about the gray in your beard. You're too young for that. I believe there's a product, especially for beards, by Grecian Formula. Give that a try. Once you hit 50, you can go natural. I think your beard is very nice, especially since you keep it trimmed. I don't know. Mark, am I, am I too? I'm almost 40. I think I'm allowed to have a couple gray hairs almost at 40, right? Is that? I mean, it depends on genetics. Yeah, it's exactly. Thank you. Hey, depends on genetics. Is your dad graying? My dad has like a silver mane of fantastic hair. So it looks like that's what you'll get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or I think it goes by your grandfather. Yeah, he had great hair too. But All right, so you know what you're getting. Yeah, that's a good call. All righty. Thanks, Diane. Doug, Mueller is using an interrogation tactic taught to active duty uh, during survival school. 
It's a way of delaying, stalling, confusing, and distracting an interrogator. Watch how he does it to Republicans more often than not. Repeating a question, stumbling over words, very clearly distracting. Also, he does what is known as getting back to a safe place. Every question in his mind should get him back to his report, which is safety for him. It's quite a display. Hmm. Back to a safe place. Uh, Interesting. Doug, thanks for sharing some of the interrogation tactics knowledge. I I do appreciate it. All righty. Rich. Uh, I can't really see what he's writing here. Jake, hey, Buck, I'm listening to yesterday's podcast, for, and you're joining me for a 12-mile ruck run th- uh, this morning. Oh, wow. Oh, 12-mile wi- ruck march this morning. That's, that's still very far. I just recently read 1984. I had the realization when you were talking about transgenderism that this is actual 2 plus 2 equals 5 scenario. It was a little scary to figure this out. Well, that's, that's very much... Correct. That is the case. And true power in the hands of the state, ultimate power in the hands of the state is when they can force you to deny objective reality, because once they can do that, then they can make you do anything and you don't have the intellectual means to fight back. Right? You, you don't have the ability. If they can make you believe things that aren't true, or in fact, they can force you to say things you know are not true. How are you ever going to hold them accountable? You've sacrificed whatever credibility, whatever honesty you have in this process, right? That's why they want you to bend the knee. This is also at the end of 1984, the most terrifying part of that entire novel, which, as I've said, is one of the certainly one of the 10 greatest novels written in the 20th century. I think that's without question. Some people would probably put in the top five. Uh, But the part at the end where there's the denunciation of the uh, the female that the main character isn't let the uh, protagonist is is in love with that's when he's truly broken when he's saying you know she's the one who did the bad thing sorry if i spoiled it for you but you should have already read 1984 and if you haven't go back and read animal farm again you might have been assigned it in school but animal farm that you read as an adult is a different experience than animal farm that you will read i'm sorry as a kid is a different experience than you'll read it as an adult uh, so here we go. James from WGY up in uh, New York. Love you, Buck. Keep up the good work. Thank you, James. And a shout out to everybody in WGY land. Here I am, a fellow native New Yorker addressing you across this great state. New York is a fantastic state. It really has got so much here. You know, really, it's almost like we, we got Long Island too added into the bargain, which is should be its own state as well. But New York is a is a great state. And people always say that about all states, but it's not it's not always true. I'm not going to start trashing some states out there, but there are some states that are a little, you know, a little meh, a little meh. Brian, here we go. Uh, hey, Buck, you're right about Cory Booker. He's a joker. He reminds me of an 11th grade overzealous uh, kid constantly acting in drama class. He has no concept of the real world. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Took a stab at sharing your podcast on Instagram and Facebook to my mostly liberal Massachusetts friend base. Guess what? I got like one like due to tech shadow blocking, uh, as I believe most of my good friends and family would like the, my post if they actually saw the subject of tonight's podcast. Uh, you're right on Chinese influence in Ecuador. Was down there not long ago training their Coast Guard on systems in Guayaquil, which is in Ecuador, which is where I was. 
China has built all the commercial residential infrastructure down there as the cars are all Chinese and they just built a massive deep water port for shipping. Ironically, the Coast Guard in Ecuador is in charge of defending the Galapagos, the number one enemy of the Galapagos, the Chinese factory fish processing ships who are raping this sacred area. Double edged sword, my friend. Shields high. Well, Brian, that's the when I talk about Chinese mercantilism and I have a discussion with all of you here on air about what the Chinese are doing around the world that's using their financial influence to buy themselves essentially the ability to pillage the natural resources of different countries. So they they give them financial, uh, you know, they all they have to do, remember, they don't have to pay off all the people of the country. They just have to pay off the ruling party, the regime, the ruling class. So they get the government fat and happy. They get the developers, the, you know, the top echelon in these third world countries feel like, oh, the Chinese are, you know, fattening our bank accounts. And then they will just come in and take whatever they want, you know, strip mining and you name it. However they want to do it, that's what they're going to do. And that's the Chinese model all over the world. They do not care. And this is also why ultimately the the debate over over climate change and, and environmentalism in this country is is an exercise in, in futility. Even if the left forget about whether the left is correct in the science or not, which I, I think they are not correct. But it's an exercise in futility because you're never going to get the Indians and the Chinese to do what you want them to do. And there are going to be billions going forward, billions of Indians and Chinese. Just take those two countries, never mind all the other countries of the developing world that are absolutely not going to slow down their growth and use far more expensive, far less efficient technology. It's just not going to happen. I mean, they could pretend, but... Uh, all righty, let's see here. Ian writes, hey, Buck, just trying to figure out the best way to communicate with you. Hope you got this. Well, Ian, I did got this. So, and you found out a way to communicate with me. It's pretty easy. Uh, you can you can always send me uh, messages via Facebook. And uh, we're going <laughs> to, I'm not even going to say the email thing anymore because we never, I, it's like the homework that I forget to do every night for a year. It, it's going to get done, but I'm just not going to say I'm going to do it anymore. Uh, Tia writes, hey, Buck, I guess you're frustrated with the whole border thing. I get it. Many of us are. But I've yet to hear you encourage your listeners to write to their representatives to let them know we expect them to support Trump. Um, well, Tia, I, I, I first of all, I, I see nothing. There's nothing that I would disagree with there. I certainly think that people should, especially if because most Republican members of Congress are on board with Trump. I mean, Trump is the leader of the Republican Party. There's no question about that. So if you have a representative who is not necessarily um, on board with all things Trump, then I would say, you know, uh, worth writing a letter perhaps and trying to say, hey, can you back the president? Remember, the problem right now is the Democrats have a majority in the House. So that's not going to it's not going to change anything. There's there's not going to be any real movement on border issues. This is why there was a lot. Look, Trump outsourced some of his domestic policy, folks. We live in the real world. We are not libs. We live in the real world. We are not liberals. Uh, Trump outsourced some of his domestic policy agenda to Paul Ryan in the House, which was a really, really bad idea. This is what happened. So the two years where they could have gotten a lot done 
on the domestic policy front, especially on immigration, were somewhat wasted because Trump. Now, you could say that Trump expected that Paul Ryan would, as a career legislator, would know how to execute. But he didn't. He didn't. And the buck stops with Trump. We got to figure out a way to work that into things. The buck stops with Trump. Although it doesn't really express the sentiment that I want. Um, Michelle writes, Buck, great to see you back. I hear a lot of talk about things regarding Trump, but the thing that concerns me the most is the information that is popping up concerning the long history between Trump and Epstein. Now, I do not believe Trump has ever been involved with underage girls or has sexually assaulted anyone. I'm a strong supporter of his since he came forward questioning Obama's qualifications for being president. Obama had begun dismantling the country the second he walked in the Oval Office. What is true and what is not? The stories are coming up and might be enough, true or not, to take him down. What, as an expert in analysis, do you think will happen? Many thanks and happy you've come back. Shields high, Michelle. Well, Michelle, thank you uh, for the kind words. I I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen with Epstein, although I I am a skeptic that Epstein will be punished the way that he should for what he has done. Andy McCarthy wrote a very compelling piece about the double jeopardy protections that Epstein probably has based on the agreement, uh, the the initial uh, agreement that Acosta, who did step down and should have stepped down, gave him. I think there are a lot of very powerful people that want the Epstein thing to go away on both sides of the aisle. That said, is there do I ever have a moment of doubt? Do I ever think to myself, Donald Trump? knew that Epstein had all these underage girls around him, or even worse, Donald Trump was in any way involved with that. I have never had a moment of doubt about this president when it comes to any of that. And, and that's just my, from my gut feeling, that's what in my heart of hearts, how I feel about this. There's also no evidence to suggest that he knew about, that Trump knew about any of this or was involved in any of this. And in fact, Trump is the only person we've heard about, the only prominent individual who was willing to do something to take Epstein to task by kicking him out of Mar-a-Lago and and essentially calling him a dirtbag. That's going to be it for today, team. Always a privilege and a pleasure. I'm up here in uh, NYC. I'll be up here for the rest of the week. I will talk to you all tomorrow, same time, same place, from the Freedom Hut. Over and out, and shields high.